Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today, Marvel goes miniature in superhero sequel Ant-Man and the Wasp. Is it Antastic or B-Grade? Guys, come on, man! We got bigger fish to fry! Then, Gemma Arterton is a woman on the verge of a breakdown in British domestic drama, The Escape. I think I need to, like, get out and do something with my life. Yeah, great. Can I have a ticket to Paris, please? Is that one way or the two? One way. And there's a touring Agnes Varda retrospective doing the rounds this week. So for Film Club, we're revisiting the French icon's 1962 new wave classic, Cleo from 5 to 7. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, it's Michael Leader here in the host's chair. And this week we have two newcomers. I'd like to welcome Ella Kemp. Hello. And Kelly Weston. Hi there. So as you're both newcomers, could you please tell us a little bit about yourselves, Ella? Um, thank you very much, Michael. Um, I am a freelance film critic. I write for Little White Lies, for Sight and Sound, for Days Sometimes, and I'm the incoming cinema editor at Culture Whisper. Oh, fantastic. And Kelly? Yes, uh, same. I am a contributing writer to Sight and Sound and also The Skinny. Oh, brilliant. So we'll have to get the skinny on your opinions <laughs> on the films this week shortly. But first, a little bit of follow-up from last week. We were talking about Tom Cruise and his history of facial hair in the films. And John McGovern and Matthew McConkey on Twitter rightly put us in our place and immediately tweeted at us saying that Tom Cruise had a moustache in Born on the Fourth of July. And, of course, beards in Tropic Thunder, collateral in The Last Samurai. I guess if there are any other important facial fuzz business you could send us an email at truthandmovies <laughs> at tcolunder.com <laughs> at lwlies on twitter or in the comments field on lwlies.com slash podcast I think that's enough about Tom Cruise this week we've got enough of that last week so yeah. let's uh, <laughs> he's we, doing fine he's doing he'll be back okay. soon he'll be yeah. back before you know it so let's crack on with our first film this week Ant-Man and the Wasp So after the events of Civil War, Scott Lang is under house arrest for joining forces with Captain America, but he soon crosses paths once more with Hank Pym and his daughter Hope, who's now operating as the Wasp. They want to dive deep into the quantum realm to rescue Hope's mother, but Scott has problems of his own, not least his ramshackle security firm, headed up by his motormouth pal Luis, played by Michael Peña. Help yourself. It was up with the fancy pastry. We gotta keep the food budget down. Well, what are we supposed to have for breakfast? The oatmeal packets. Oatmeal packets. It's insult. 
Why is it an insult? Because it tastes like sand. You know why? It's because it's organic. No, That's it's why. not organic. It's Ooh, sand. It's you the know most important meal of the can, day. You know what? You can get creative with it. Break teeth. I'll put a little brown sugar on it. You can put some cinnamon. Put a little honey. You, you, guys, no, guys, you guys, 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 come on, man. We got bigger fish to fry. Is that my desk? Yeah. What? Why do I have such a small desk? Well, because you weren't there when we were choosing desks. You snooze, you lose. Well, I was under house arrest. Yeah. You know what? This isn't even a desk. This is garbage. You found this outside amongst garbage. I got it at a rummage sale. So you save money on my desk? Guys. Hope, please. We need to focus, all right? We got to find that lab already. Jeez. So there's a clip from Ant-Man and the Wasp, the 20th Marvel movie, and the first after the event of Infinity War earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So, Kelly, are you a Marvel <laughs> fan? Are you excited for this one? Um, I don't self-identify as a Marvel fan, but I probably am. Mm-hmm. Um, I do generally go see those films, even though I'm not a huge comic book fan. Um, I loved Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I unexpectedly really liked Avengers Infinity War, despite having not seen all of the films of all of the superheroes that were in that film. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that one of the things that Ant-Man and the Wasp suffers from is coming out after uh, films like Black Panther, which is really epic and grand mm-hmm. in scale, and also Infinity War. And you also, I think, have to orient yourself when you first start watching Ammon and the Wasp because we're not sure, you know, I don't know how many people have seen Infinity War at this in point. The yeah, seen it now. We yeah. can, I think we can safely say that some of our superheroes are MIA. We mm-hmm. don't know where they've gone. And so it's just a bit confusing. Um, and also because this film sort of deals with a lot more intimate issues, um, which is a good thing. It's more about um, friendship and family. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't have the same kind of scale as yeah. its predecessors. Well, so. It's such a conscious gear shift down. Your Black Panther and Infinity War were such massive scale movies and this one is back on that human scale. Exactly. Kind of like the way that the first Ant-Man movie immediately came after I think Age of Ultron or at least yes. another one of those massive movies mm-hmm. and is a conscious shift down in scale to a human level thing. Ella, were you a fan of that first film? Were you excited going into this one? I appreciated the first film. I did think it also felt like it was on quite a excuse me, but quite on a small scale. Mm -hmm. But I ended up enjoying the second one much more than I thought and much more than the first one because I quite enjoyed the human scale and it was all quite straightforward Mm. and you understand why you had to care and why they cared. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't epic at all. Mm -hmm. It wasn't too over the top, but I felt like it gave me enough to engage with and I found it quite enjoyable. I definitely like this film a lot more than the first Ant-Man. Yeah, really? Why is that? I think that this film was just a bit tighter, even Mm -hmm. though I think, I mean, we'll get into this, uh, I think, in a second. I think there were just way too many characters. There were a little bit too many plot lines going on. Um, I really think they should have spent more time developing Ghost, who is the primary antagonist uh, in this film. And at the same time as uh, Scott and Hope um, and Hank Pym, played by Michael Douglas, are trying to get their lab back from Ghost, who needs it for her own uh, reasons, which we won't get into for fear of spoilers, Walton Goggins is oh, also yeah. trying buddy. to get the lab, and he has his own, you know, cronies, and it's to me, I think. 
Walton Goggins is always welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, love a bit of Goggins, but he, he didn't need to be in this film as much. Mm-hmm. I think I would have been happy with setting him up for something in the long term and yeah. then spending more time developing Ghost as a really solid foil to Hope Van Dyne, who mm-hmm. is the new Wasp. Mm-hmm. And because Ghost also has a... There's a more succinct way to say this. <laughs> it's, a, um, it's a complicated movie, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> this is what I mean. <laughs> there's so much going on. Um, perhaps I'll start there. Um, there's really a lot going on, but Ghost, uh, who's played by um, Hannah John Cammon, I think it's probably yeah, pronounced her yeah. name, who's beautiful, uh, a really incredible actress, she in this film, is really set up, I think, to be a quite interesting villain, but they never do quite enough with her. Mm. Um, She has an adoptive father in the film. We won't say who that is. But they don't really develop that relationship Mm. between the two of them. And I think that would have been so interesting to juxtapose their relationship with Hank Mm. and Hopes. This is what's so interesting about this film. Um, We we say it's this gear shift away from the epic scale of Infinity War, but it has a sort of sequel bloat. So it follows on from The Last Ant-Man, where Paul Rudd is a sort of a hapless dad. You know, he has a young mm-hmm. daughter and his ex-wife is now shacked up with, with somebody else. So he has that to deal with, plus the fact mm-hmm. that he's now an ex-con, so he has he's on under house arrest and has the FBI on his case, as well as this love-hate relationship with both Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne. And then they are a keyhole into this world of absolute sci-fi babble mm-hmm. of going into the quantum realm and yes. going, moving in the space between atoms. And, Molecular structures. Yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of talk you know, where they just talk very very quickly almost hoping that you won't understand (laughs) just saying okay if we condense everything to do with what we're actually doing maybe the audience will just look at the colours of the quantum realm and still be into it well what I like is that it's it's pure 1950s sci-fi oh it looks lovely it it looks gorgeous but it's yeah exactly but then also this is the probably the most immediately entertaining sort of Marvel movie it's a straight Mm. up comedy Mm. you have Paul Rudd bringing that sort of humour that you'd expect and it's still that same interplay with Michael Peña's character yes. the fact yeah. that he runs on these long anecdotes and mm. um, another highlight of the movie is one of those in, in well, yeah I think one of the film's strengths is its charm like mm-hmm. there's no one in this cast that you don't love but it I, feels very specific to this cast as well like mm. as soon as Paul Rudd started being funny yes I felt that it was very specific to him and I thought well of course thank god Paul Rudd is in this so I'm, <laughs> therefore there is a reason for me to watch it and I'm really enjoying it. I also just think it's important to note that Paul Rudd looks amazing he in does. this film. He I really think that does. is that has not been said enough in no. <laughs> critical. It's true <laughs> spectrum. Yeah. He looks great in that. He just keeps getting better and better with age. He does. He? Yeah, exactly. But then, but everything does look great because I think that is also to do with their powers and the mm. suits, and it feels like it really plays on the specificities of the power as opposed to just being. I can go small so mm-hmm. that I can stop this bad thing from happening. Mm. They just really play around a lot with the effects of the suits and the power, which well, they didn't as much before. They, they did have one or two set pieces in that first one, but they just yeah, throw more in there. Yeah, it didn't feel like it there. was as much. And yeah. here it felt like from the beginning you had this big fight at one point where they really played around with it but then you didn't lose it throughout well it's, it's the idea that once they introduce the idea that it's not just the heroes that can shrink themselves or enlarge themselves they can make other things yeah. shrink and yeah. grow so there's a kitchen fight sequence for example where the, the wasp is sort of enlarging a salt and pepper shaker <laughs> yeah. or whatever but there's also I believe it's in the trailer so it's not much of a spoiler mm-hmm. but the fact that we're talking about trying to get their lab back from all these yeah. people who are trying to steal their lab is the fact that it's an entire sort of tower block building mm-hmm. that they shrink down to the size 
sort of carry-on case yes. on, on a flight. Which has its own handle as well that extends yeah. every time. So it's literally an ultra-high-tech yeah. lab that can be wheeled around by mm-hmm. various people. So. But on that note, I also think that the conflict isn't as well-structured as, mm-hmm. as it should be. Perhaps I missed this. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say this as a critic, but we're never really quite sure why Walton Goggins wants the lab. Like He, he has for... shady buyers yeah, in the background. He's a, he's yeah, a, so he's an arms dealer. He's a black market <laughs> arms dealer. Yeah. And he wants to get the lab for his own reasons and we have no idea what he's going to do with them but so we don't really he like he should fear. have his own spin-off he should I have just so been teased too. at the end Absolutely. kind of looking at the lab like oh this could be interesting for me and then you have this kind of slapstick theme tune for him right. for his own thing that would right. be great and so occasionally you know Walton Goggins doesn't have any superpowers or anything. Mm-hmm. So that we know of. That yes. we know of. That we know of. You have to wait for Ant-Man 3, <laughs> Ant-Man the Wasp, and uh, Sonny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Rolls off the tongue, really. Yeah. <laughs> but also, there are so many instances throughout the film where it's like they make it time sensitive. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like they didn't really think very deeply about all of the dilemmas or, or all of the stakes. So it's like, you know, we have to get Michelle Pfeiffer um, within this particular time Time frame, or you'll never see her again. And then Hannah John Cameron's character, Ghost, must be saved uh, within this particular time, within two weeks, or she's gonna die forever. And we, it's never really explained why. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just supposed to just sort of go along with it. And so I think it, to me, I think the film maybe suffered a bit from too many screenwriters. There are no less than five, including Paul Rudd. Exactly. Um, but yeah. I imagine his input into the screenplay is probably what's best about that. Yeah, which is probably yeah, exactly. This feeling of chemistry in between characters and actors is mm. just and making it all feel easier as well. I feel like Paul Rudd's inclusion makes it less complicated and it's less about the quantum realm and more about the charm of the characters. Well, yeah. The very first scene of the watch. movie is him on house oh. arrest trying to form a bond with yeah. his daughter yeah. by creating these so incredible great. mini heists yeah. within the attic. Mm. And yeah. there are some great bits of dialogue in there. You know, as, Personally, as a fan of the franchise, I like to see where it was becoming self-aware. So he'd be talking to Evangeline Lilly's character, I believe it was at the time, where he says, oh, I was... You know, Cap called me and wanted me to go and join Cap. And and she's like, Cap? After these films where a lot of the trappings of the superhero franchise has become kind of written as solid canon, it's good to have that little little step back and realize that this is kind of weird and silly. Well, it's nice that it's self aware and there is this nod to the Avengers, but without it feeling too tied down to the tragedy that has occurred so many times. Well, Kelly, you did say when when you sat down to watch the film, you weren't sure where this will land in that chronology. Mm-hmm. And it, it benefits from being set specifically before Infinity right. War. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the events of that don't have an immediate impact on the film mm-hmm. as you see it. But it does, I think it ties together into the larger franchise yeah. so well. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. does so very nicely. And I think it also handles its tone really mm-hmm. well, which I think mm-hmm. is something that Thor, which I, I would say is probably its cousin in a sense, mm-hmm. in terms of how funny it is, having a charming cast and not being quite as serious as some of the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, films in any uh, any case, and to me, it, it definitely benefits from those close relationships. So you know, we were saying that in one sense, it is a shame that it came after all of these big grand <laughs> movies, but it's also really heartwarming to see these friendships, these familial mm-hmm. bonds. There's something about it that's really endearing, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and how the film is not very self conscious about that. It's not trying to, <laughs> you know, so Scott Lang doesn't have to save the world. He's no. trying no. to save his friends, and He's that's. Self- 
selfish, but yeah, in a exactly. good way, in mm-hmm. a way that you would also be selfish if you or your children, family, mm-hmm. friends, whichever, were it's in danger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it gets back to what some saw as the real, the key ingredient for why Marvel films and comics were so successful, because mm-hmm. it's their human characters. Mm-hmm. This is closer in spirit in some ways to a Spider-Man movie, right. yeah. where really it's just about helping your family, helping your, your friends, right. than saving the world. Mm-hmm. And um, if it doesn't have as much sort of visual flair or stakes or great set-piece sequences as the first one, I think that it still has plenty here, and it's quite solidly mm-hmm enjoyable yeah. I think and also we I think you skirted around his inclusion in the cast but he is a, a cast member Lawrence Fishburne is in this yes. one of my favourite actors same and <laughs> it's great to see him in this sort of movie um, mm-hmm. he plays a sort of an old colleague of Hank Pym's mm-hmm. and he comes on the scene as actually a brilliant scene of him in de-aged makeup and it's just like mm, late eighties so Lawrence Fishburne walks on the screen. <laughs> so good. The hair is very good. It's oh, very, it's very believable. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is the first film, if I am not mistaken, that Lawrence Fishburne has been in with Michelle Pfeiffer well, and I think that Michael whole Douglas, that whole that triangle. Whole yeah. So you have mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer here as Janet Van Dyne, the original Wasp, mm-hmm. and then Hank Pym played by Michael Douglas. None of those three, t- you know, ever been in film. Iconic together. actors have been in the film together. So and they're, they're all so, in here. yeah. Uh, I think what touched me about this film, almost beyond all these immediate pleasures, is that that title uh, can just as much refer to uh, the original Ant-Man and the Wasp because mm-hmm. it's Michael Douglas, uh, Hank Pym, trying to rescue yeah. his mm. his wife, his long-lost wife from the quantum realm. It is also apparently, if I'm not mistaken, the first Marvel film where a woman has been name-checked in the title. With the title character. Yeah. Unless, I mean, apart from, I mean, the Avengers is a yeah. team. The Avengers guess, is a yeah. team, yeah, yeah, yeah. The but you really feel one. that in the film as well, that equal billing... I think before mm. going into the film, I'd almost roll my eyes a bit thinking Ant-Man and this new sidekick mm. for a sequel. Mm-hmm. But then watching the whole film, I think the Wasp is as important, yeah. more exciting she at some points her whole, as well. Mm. She has her, her, her individual story to, yeah. to yeah. explore. And, and she plays it so well. Evangeline Lilly is brilliant. and She's great. Yeah, she just carries the powers, her character, the relationship with Scott, with her father, with everyone, just really mm. brilliantly. And... I didn't necessarily expect that. You'd mm-hmm. think it would more be about Paul Rudd just carrying the film again and then some other people get involved as well. But he doesn't take a back seat, but mm-hmm. he definitely makes room for other people to really step up and I think it really works. And that might have contributed a little bit to why the film feels a little overbloated because it, they really do try to give every character a reason to be there yeah. and yeah. a moment and a, and yeah. a through line. There's more more interesting characters. Yeah. Mm. But it's pretty good. Let's throw some scores at this film then. Kelly, do you want to say your in anticipation enjoyments and in retrospect for this? Um, in anticipation, I'm sorry, it would have to be a one. <laughs> it would have to be a one. And then, was it in anticipation enjoyment enjoyment i would give it a three mm-hmm. i liked it i definitely think it has a few too many characters but i would watch it again so i give it in retrospect another three mm. yeah ella i think i would give it a two in anticipation maybe for my one in anticipation from the first one plus <laughs> another one for the sequel <laughs> in enjoyment I really had a good time. I think I'd give it a four. Mm-hmm. I love the effects. I love the characters. I was into it. <laughs> In retrospect, 
I'm going to stick with a four. Okay. You haven't dissuaded me, Kelly. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. Well, for my part, I'm al- always going to be in the front row for these films. So, and this was one of one of um, the best ones of the previous phase. So, uh, for the Ant Man sequel, I have probably a four in anticipation. I thought it was solidly enjoyable. Probably a, a strong three in enjoyment. <laughs> and if it diminishes slightly in retrospect, it would still be a three for me. Mm. I think this is a, a great addition to the franchise, mm-hmm. and it's good to have the Marvel Cinematic Universe have these gear shifts between the big and the small and ones mm-hmm. you can just enjoy on your, you know, on the background on your TV versus the one that you have to watch every minute for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was Ant-Man and the Wasp in cinemas now, only a month after America had the chance to see it. Thank you to the World Cup. <laughs> Up next, we're reviewing The Escape. So in The Escape, Gemma Arterton is Tara, a young mother of two experiencing a crisis as the daily grind starts to take its toll. Is there a way for her to fix her life and find happiness, or is it just too late? Here's a clip from the trailer. I'm not happy. Hey. I'm not happy. Come on, this ain't like you, is it? Sulking in baby's room. Where's my happy girl? It's a phase. It's just a phase. Everybody goes through it. I envy you. No good with the kids. They hate me. Shut up. You're a great mum. I think I need to like get out and do something with my life. Yeah, great. Oh, can I have a ticket to Paris, please? Is that one way of return? Uh, one way. Is this what you want? Is this what you care about? I can't do this. Yeah. Let me go! Being free and being married, contradictory. So this is very much a sort of showcase film built around Gemma Arterton. Ella, are you a fan of Gemma Arterton? Do you think this is something she really needed a showcase? Well, I think it could have been great for her to have a big role, an exciting role, something that could potentially be a career-defining role. Mm. I think that's what it could have been. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was. Right, okay. I'm sad that it was not, for me, a career-defining role for Gemma Arterton. I don't think it's her fault. Mm-hmm. I think her performance is brilliant and it's really harrowing and sometimes quite difficult to watch. But I just think that the film around her, it's not enjoyable. It's difficult, but not in a way that makes you feel like it's satisfying because it's accurately pinpointing a lot of struggles and providing some kind of escape, solution, whatever it might be. I felt like there were so many different strands going on and so much potential for things to move on and for things to get better or worse for her. But for a lot of it, it just stagnated and things didn't really move. And when they did move, it was after such a weirdly long amount of time. And it just felt like there were lots of loose ends that didn't really get resolved Mm -hmm. and if they did it wasn't satisfying and it felt like she didn't get what she deserved the actor or the character the actor or the character it's funny I was just thinking whilst watching this I like Gemma Arterton a lot I think she's just such a a, a charismatic charming and talented actress you know Byzantium Neil Marshall's vampire Mm. drama is the one that I go back to Mm -hmm. where it's her and Saoirse Ronan on the coast as as vampires Mm. brilliant but then also Gemma Bovary Tamara Drew I mean if you want to go back to Strawberry Fields when she was in the Bond movie uh, Quantum of Solace I believe Uh, her career trajectory is is really interesting especially when you compare her to her contemporaries Mm -hmm. 
know, the likes of Keira Knightley, Hayley Atwell, mm-hmm. who have made a different kind of impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I do think she is really, really talented. Um, yeah. I love watching her. And I'm I, never worried when I see her build. I always yeah. think this could be really exciting. Yeah. And I'm ready to be really impressed. And she gives it her all in this film. Mm-hmm. I think it's an incredible performance. It's much better than the film around yeah. her deserves. Absolutely. But at the same time, I think the film itself, uh, just to, I guess, set it up a little bit more, she's married. She has two young children. She's a very ambivalent relationship with motherhood. Mm-hmm. Her relationship with her husband, played by Dominic Cooper in this film, is extremely troublesome. And it's, really, <laughs> it's really upsetting. There's so many Indeed. sides of her life that are so upsetting. But I feel like everything is upsetting in a kind of... Five out of ten, I can see this getting worse. I can see this Mm. maybe getting better. But none of the strands get better or worse. You've got the side with her husband. You've got the side with her children. Mm. And also her life and things that she enjoys doing creatively, Mm -hmm. personally. And it all just seems to be there. It's just quite maudlin. It's just there to, you know, make us cry. The film sort of opens with this very overwrought music. Mm. Which which doesn't leave. Yeah, just doesn't leave. leave. And you know something, you know, some... Tears are about to come because the music just starts. Goes, duh, duh, duh. <laughs> so, you know, it's yeah. just like prepare to be sad because she's sad. But it never actually gets to the heart of her so claustrophobia. Much. It yeah. really wants to try and get inside her head. Yeah. You know, the, the, mm. the way it's filmed by director Dominic Savage is mm. so up close and handheld, mm. very shallow focus, lots of extreme mm. close-ups of her yeah. face as she's having these crisis, you know, moments of crisis, depressive episodes, ennui, whatever it could be. Mm-hmm. And it's really yearning to, to put you in her shoes to see her, that crisis mm. and Gemma Arterton is you know performing so well she technically yeah she um, is yeah I believe her but the film doesn't give her that complexity like it we're we're just sort of meant to intuit a lot of it and mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think that's fair you know we we don't really know like what kind of person she was before she got married that makes her so untethered to this or just desire to be so untethered mm-hmm. to this life mm-hmm. um because you know she's a scene with her mother where her mother's telling her her mother comes from clearly uh you know a lower middle yeah. class or working class background and she says to her you know you have two cars you yeah. have a conservatory You've like you should be happy yeah. and the fact is you know those things don't make people happy right. but the audience is thinking yeah she should be happy we don't really understand exactly but also what it it's is. not really a revelation that you know, having a nice house and cars and so yeah. on makes people happy. You know, it's, it's exactly. not necessarily yeah. n- novel or yeah. treading new ground. Yeah. But it's frustrating that she's not given more dialogue to say yeah, what, what she it, thinks exactly. to anyone who's not her husband, mm-hmm. who doesn't listen to her and doesn't really seem to listen to anyone or anything. Her mum, who is telling her that she has a conservatory, and mm. like she doesn't have friends or relationships that she can say anything to. That probably feeds into something about the way the film was made. It was mostly improvised, so the, mm. the scenes would have maybe beginnings and ends, but then they just find their way there. So right. that might be something about that written depth that you might expect yeah, from something right. like that. But there's this. no setup for her to blossom or confess or. Just just develop as a character outside of the strenuous relationships and circumstances she has within her everyday mm-hmm. life. And I think it's, you know, you're right. Like, we, we all know that having um, two cars, having a nice house, all of these things, these luxurious things don't necessarily make people happy. But then 
they treat her, you know, running off to Paris as if it does make her happy. And that's a very middle class solution because yeah. if you it's are... It's very a, easy. Exactly. If yeah. you are a working class mother, you don't necessarily have the funds to just, you know, jaunt off to Paris and stay in a fancy hotel. Mm-hmm. So I think you, it's just you can't really have it both no. ways to me, especially if you're not going to explain what it is about mm-hmm. this lifestyle that is so unsettling and oppressive yeah. to her. And the pacing around the oh. whole Paris event is so yeah. bizarre yeah. and just even with this well in the one line synopsis of the film it says an ordinary woman makes an extraordinary decision which will change her life forever this extraordinary decision felt really anticlimactic mm. and I felt like it came at a very strange point in the film and it didn't provide any kind of payoff or satisfaction or just any joy of seeing her there and it sort of falls awkwardly between multiple sort of dramatic genres. It's not really a full-blown melodrama because mm. there's not the stakes there, mm. the, the events don't happen. Mm. It's not really a social realist drama because it doesn't attack and scrutinise that sense of class and so on that you were talking about, Kelly. Yeah. But then also it doesn't really feed into these more sort of genre-fied explorations of modern-day motherhood like The Babadook or, um, or Tully from earlier yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, but what this film does share with those are some incredible scenes of just kids being nightmarish mm. and the very concept of having children mm-hmm. coming away from this film is, is almost like a horror movie mm. and there is a, a, a you know, just to talk about Gemma Arterton on a scene level there is a scene where she does erupt at her kids and mm-hmm. she puts yeah, the end, of her, uh, the end yeah. of her tether and it's a really you know, almost a single moment from this film that you can highlight. Mm-hmm. And actually, Adam Woodward, he interviewed her very recently uh, Gemma Arterton and asked her about that scene and we have a clip from that interview it was the worst thing. This film was really challenging, but that was the most challenging scene because usually in life I'm really good with kids and um, like they love me and I play with them and I'm really silly with them. On this film, I started doing that and then I just couldn't because I had to do the, you know, the film and because the camera was rolling all the time, I couldn't suddenly snap out of what I was doing. So... The children started to not like me and, and um, they tried to avoid me and they'd run out of the room when I came into the room and they'd start crying and things like that. And we knew in the treatment there was this scene, she shouts at the children and I was like, we can't do that until the very last day with because after I've done that, they won't be in the room with me anymore. And it was really distressing. Actually, it was really interesting. The children had been playing up up to that point and when I shouted at them, they laughed they were like, <laughs> she's dressed out. But it was horrible. I mean, the little boy did cry and ugh, I hated it. It was horrid. But it was, in a weird way, it kind of helped me because that was actually the most distressing. Knowing that they didn't like me, they were afraid of me, was really horrible. And also because Dominic Cooper could come in and just muck about with them. And it was sort of almost like how it is in the film, you know, kids came to Paris that which was the last stuff we shot then we don't see that in the film but they did actually come and they saw me and the little girl hid behind the sofa and said no not her I don't want to see her and I just oh god it was awful but you know all for the love of art I hope I haven't tried like traumatized them. <laughs> 
So that was Gemma Arterton there. Do we have any final comments about The Escape, Kelly? Because we've been ragging on it, I do have one pro. Okay. <laughs> um, I did think it was really interesting the way Savage filmed the, or sort of explored the disconnect between physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. Right. And I think that's something that doesn't get explored a lot in films, particularly in films about women mm. um, in their relationships with men. I think physical intimacy is sort of filmed as if it is also you know, simultaneously this sort of emotional connection and it mm-hmm. isn't always that. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it, that being part of her story. Well, it's, particularly these sex scenes with yeah. Dominic Cooper where yeah. it's so one-sided. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. 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 So should we wrap this up, put some yeah. scores on this? Uh, Ella, do you want to go first? Um, my anticipation was not really much higher than a two. Mm-hmm. I would say um, enjoyment. I'd go for a two because there was a lot of interesting potential mm. with the varying levels of abuse that she had to go through. But in retrospect, it might have to be a one. It didn't have a payoff. Yeah, I wasn't satisfied with yeah. anything that happened to her. She deserves better. Uh, same for me. Well, actually, anticipation, I think, would be a one. <laughs> but as a film, I do think it was compelling. I just think it... It never really comes to fruition, or whatever mm. it is they're trying to do with this. Um, but Gemma Arden is great in it, so I, I would give it a two. And in retrospect, it's definitely a one. I would mm. not go back to this film. Yeah, I think for me it's a three, two, one. And the only positive things I can say about this are all related to Gemma Arden. To mm. be honest, you know she's still one of my favorite actresses of her generation, yeah. and I will look forward to seeing her in more. So, like Gemma, we're going to escape to France for Film Club. <laughs> this is Cleo from 5 to 7, directed by Agnes Varda. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So this week, 
a new retrospective of the films of Agnes Varda is starting. It's called Gleaning Truths. It's a nationwide tour of eight fiction and documentary films that she directed. You can find out more info at curzon.com slash Agnes Varda. But we're going to start with uh, her second feature, a landmark film from 1962 called Cleo from 5 to 7. It covers two hours in the life of a singer as she waits for test results from her doctor. It follows her through the streets of Paris from encounter to encounter. Kelly, this is quite a landmark film in her career and French mm. cinema in general, isn't it? Yeah. It came right after her debut, if I'm uh, not mistaken, La Pointe Courte. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm terrible at French, so sorry about that to French listeners <laughs> um, and also my French friends listening. But um, it begins this sort of tradition of, of Varda who um, really operates within social realism. It's about a woman who feels trapped in some way. And it's just a really compelling, still unfortunately quite relevant story about a woman who feels really pressured by society. There's so many references to the idea of of looking, a woman looking at herself, their mask, uh, the way that women sort of don masks, Mm. you know, really interesting film in general, but certainly easily to me, like, one of the most interesting films about women, period, mm. uh, even though this was 1960. Early 60s, yeah. Early 60s. And yeah, it's just great. I love it. I've seen it a couple of times. Um, and yeah, you I mean you can't get better <laughs> than Varda. It's, it's funny what we were just saying about the escape, this idea that we really wanted to more interiority. We mm. wanted to get to know this character more. And that's exactly what this film is. You yeah. get to, it's so dense with feeling and insight and into the philosophy of her mind and mm. her perspective and her, the way she is looked at and looks at the world. Yeah. Yeah. Ella, did you have a relationship with this film before this or was this a first watch for you? So I actually watched it for the first time a few months ago and didn't really engage with it as much, but mm. I really enjoyed watching it again because it allowed me to focus on detail so much more so the script is just so effortlessly beautiful and existential but in a way that still feels really light and Mm. just bounces from scene to scene Mm. while still being able to make you think about the gravity of everything that's being said and that is something that's really different from The Escape because I found that The Escape for the whole time just felt really heavy and harrowing Mm. without Mm. really giving me anything to actually think about afterwards whereas Mm with Cleo it's really light and just bouncy and I found myself really enjoying it but still consistently wondering about her and what she's thinking and about me and how every other woman that I know might react to these kind of situations and it strikes this really special balance in allowing you to enjoy it without losing focus of really important issues. Yeah, what I love about watching the films from this era is that there was still such a sense of experimentation and freedom. Mm -hmm. So Agnes Varda had made a few documentaries and one feature before this, but she was a photographer and she wasn't just a a movie brat as Mm -hmm. nearly all directors are now. And so she just throws conventions out the window and throws ideas almost on a scene-by-scene level into the the melting pot. You know, the the opening title sequence is in colour, the rest of the film is in in black and white, you have jump cuts, you have these beautiful beautiful, almost documentary-like street photography sequences just on Paris streets of amazing faces of just ordinary people. And it just feels like a film that is organically existing in front of your eyes. And then this 
structural idea of it being it, it's not fully in real time because the film is an hour and a half and mm-hmm. isn't yeah. for two hours but it feels like you're just following her on her way throughout her day mm-hmm. it's really interesting Varda is really one of the most crucial directors of the French New Wave mm-hmm. and even though she actually predecessed it so mm. La Pointe Kurt if I'm not mistaken came out actually a couple of years before we think of that era yeah so um, with before... Jean-Luc Godard and Francois yes. Truffaut etc yeah, yeah. exactly and it's interesting what you say Ella about it being quite light and bouncy in many ways because the context of this film is the Algerian war which yeah. is which going is not on. light and bouncy which is famously. not yeah not at all um, and she meets a soldier who um, is fighting in that war at the end of the film this was a time when a lot of African countries were mm. gaining their independence from France it was a colonial power and the way that you know is integrated into the film is really sensitive I think without sort of marrying marrying um this woman who is a famous singer, uh, who's very glamorous, without marrying those two ideas, is just very much used as a kind of structure to explore all the many ways that society goes about marginalizing people. Mm. And in the hands of a less capable director, I think it would have been easy for the film to sort of mirror these two situations. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't. It's just her trying to exist in this world, moving through it. Because there's there's actually a scene where she's in a taxi and she sees in the window these masks which have a kind of, like, African right. look to them. But, you know, she's dealing with something quite different. You know, she's wearing... She's quite superstitious, but she's also, in the back of her mind, thinking about the results of this biopsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate that. You know, it's 1962, so you just kind of wouldn't expect that. But I was really struck by that. I was struck mm-hmm. by how those two things just weren't... They were were integrated in such a way that it didn't make me feel as though Varda was trying to equate the two problems. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's got this with this wonderful to and fro with the specific and the general, this sort of the, the present and the yes. the past, and something that I like going back and I, I watched this film when I was at, at, at university over a decade ago now, and I rewatch it now, and it has almost perfect little moments that talk about catcalling, that talk about mansplaining. Mm. There's, yes. there's a beautiful yeah. bit where Antoine, who actually turns yeah. into sort of her partner for the film at the end, mm. he just turns up and just starts blabbing at her and uh, she you know she says men wait for all women they approach them and talk yeah. and it's like <laughs> Agnes Varda just captured man's yeah. playing there 50 uh, years ago 60 years yeah. ago and just everything feels so natural instead of instead of feeling like I'm going to make a film about mansplaining mm. or about this problem or about this problem it's just been done and there's mm. just this instinct about it that is right mm-hmm. about things that are wrong yeah. and it just feels so refreshing and even things about oneself, I think, are done in such an interesting way. Like, there's mm. so much about the idea of vanity and beauty and the mm. way you look at yourself and kind of the difference between pride and mm-hmm. beauty and all sorts. And, and how that yeah. in and of itself sort of infects you in a way. Yeah. Because she's thinking about the you know whether or not she has cancer. But she is also really very much destroyed by this idea of what people think think or mm-hmm. see when they look at her. And how that will make her look exactly. if she does or doesn't have cancer. Because she has a there's a line where she says essentially, you know, I her cancer may be pancreatic, I think. So she says, it's in my stomach and mm-hmm. her friend is she says something to her friend where it's like, um, at least people can't see it there. Mm-hmm. And there's something so affecting yeah. about that line. And what her friend says in response. So her friend who was who's just finished a sculpting class. Yeah, yeah. as a a life model. 
And in response to that, she says... So I think Cleo is kind of questioning why she does it and mm. whether she enjoys it. And her friend says, my body makes me happy, not proud. Yeah. And yeah. I just think that's the thing you just never think about. And <laughs> yeah. Agnes Varda just put that line in just there. Just dropped it in there. Yeah. Amongst- <laughs> just like, I'm yeah. going to let you think about this now. And then before you know it, they're off to another, th- they're having some <laughs> other business going in Paris. In fact, literally two minutes after that, they have a film within a film, yeah. <laughs> which is a sort of pastiche of yeah. uh, perspective, but also making a joke about a guy who always wears sunglasses when he's yes. eaten. And, <laughs> and it's, that is, that's so interesting because, you know, it is a film about duality and about, you know, having mm-hmm. two faces, essentially. So at the end, or near the end, rather, we learn that Cleo is her stage name. Mm-hmm. Her real name is Florence. And then she's talking to Antoine, the soldier she meets. And he basically tells her, you know, I like your real name. I like Florence better. Yeah. <laughs> because that's, you know, the real you. And, and, and Vardov plays with that in so many different ways with the way that Cleo dresses. You know, when she goes out for the second time in the film, she takes off this very glamorous polka dot dress that she has on and she puts on this very simple black dress and Mm -hmm. she takes off her wig Mm -hmm. and yeah just really small things like that I think really make this film that Mm -hmm. it's just not glaring I really enjoy the subtlety of it whilst Mm -hmm. because it's just so quietly affecting you Mm -hmm. know she doesn't she's not very loud about how oppressive it is it's just you can see it in everything, in the way that women move, in the way that women think about themselves, mm-hmm. in the way that women dress. It's it's really beautiful. I think we like this film. Yes, we do. <laughs> We're fans. I, I think we'd recommend it as well. Uh, I, I think really just what, what's a terrific movie mm-hmm. in, in miniature yes. as a whole. You'll get so much from yeah. it. But then it's part of this touring season. Uh, is there another Varda film that we may recommend? I've only seen two of her films. So this one yeah. and Faces Places, which mm. hasn't actually come out yet. It's coming out later this year but that's a documentary it's a very different sort of film to this mm-hmm. but there is a, this touring season of eight Kelly do you have one in there that you may recommend I really would recommend Le Bonheur right. I don't know if that's showing it is in part the of the season, season. Yeah, yeah great okay I recommend Le Bonheur that was the first Varda film that I ever saw it and still haunts me to this day <laughs> is that fiction or documentary because she does both it's right. exactly and I would also recommend yeah definitely recommend Faces Places mm-hmm. and also Beaches of Agnes oh yeah okay um, and yeah Le Bonheur is a, is a fiction film. I think it came out shortly after this film, mm-hmm. um, but it's essentially about the marriage between this man and this woman. He falls in love with another woman and takes her as a mistress. Right. And I won't give away the ending, but it's just harrowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so watch that um, and have your emotions ruined. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen many of these Agnes Varda films, Ella? Or well, no? so Le Bonheur is the only other one that I've seen for mm-hmm. now as well. I'm very Would much looking forward. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it again and discovering all of the others that I have. To to catch up on but I think what better way than on the big screen in the upcoming season and I I will just make one more mention of Faces Places or as they call it in France Visage Village Mm, it's so rare that we would have uh, rhyming puns titles (laughs) in both languages I'm so excited but yes you can find more information about this touring season uh, at curzon.com slash Agnes Varda in fact there are all sorts of goodies up there there's essays and videos Mm. and, and so on we recommend you check that out and really now it's just a bit of wrap up in fact, actually, we need to shout out two upcoming Little White Lies events at Somerset House coming up this month. There's a panel discussion on the art of discovering movies, that uh, Little White Lies are doing a movie, that's on the 16th of August. And Kelly, you're on the panel for that. I am. I'll be talking about how <laughs> little Kelly came to movies, how she became such a nerd about films. So, so come for more ramblings from me. <laughs> brilliant anecdotes from uh, yeah, the origin story of Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then on the 22nd, we're recording a live episode of this very podcast at Somerset House. Mm-hmm. Uh, more info TBC about that. Tickets available as well from the Somerset House website. There's also a new issue that's just mm-hmm. been announced for Little a White beautiful Lies. Beautiful new issue. Beautiful yeah, new gorgeous. issue, as they always are. But this is all about the miseducation of Cameron Post, Desiree Akavat's new film. It has a zine theme in the design and is, uh, you know, packed with the usual reviews and features that you can expect from the magazine. That's more information about that at elderwheelies.com. And uh, so next week, we're, we're, we're talking about a really massive shark called the Meg uh, uh, with Jason Statham taking it down. Was mm. he making friends with it? I don't know. He's probably taking it down, right? Well, the tagline is chomp on this, so it so, doesn't seem friendly. Okay, so we'll be chomping on that. We'll also be talking about the Paraguayan drama The Heiresses, which won Best Actress at the Berlin Film Festival earlier this year. And we'll be celebrating the 30th anniversary of Heathers, the dark high school comedy starring Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. That's our film club pick for next week so let us know what you think at elderly lies on twitter truth and movies at tcolondon.com via email or on the comments section of elderlylies.com slash podcast so it just leaves me to say thank you to ella for joining me thank uh, you where very can much. we find more of your work or more um, of you you can find me on twitter at efe kemp mm-hmm. um and various ramblings on culture whisper little White lies sight mm-hmm. and sound as and when and kelly uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter at Kelly, that's Kelly with an I, K-E-L-L-I, uh, Weston, also known as my Cyril Woodcock Stan account um, from Phantom Thread, if you've seen the best movie of the year. Uh, and yeah, you can find me rambling away on the skinny and sight and sound. Terrific. Thank you so much Thank to you, you both for joining me this Thank week. I've been Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.